0: Well, if you have your Bible, please do open back up to Habakkuk chapter 3. It'll be very helpful to have that in front of you as we study it together this morning. For several years, when I was younger, I was a proud member of the first Caledon Boys Brigade Company, the BB. And uh, I really enjoyed my years in the BB. We did lots of fun activities Sports competitions, marching competitions, camping expeditions, and lots of different things like that. As long as all of those fun activities, I also remember being taught the BB motto. Does anyone know what it is? Steadfast and sure. Steadfast and sure. Yes, Joe, that's it. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 where our hope in Christ is called a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And we often sang, I think what has kind of become known as the BB hymn, a hymn based on that passage, um, Will Your Anchor Hold in the Storms of Life? The course went like this. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Now, though I didn't fully appreciate it at the time, I have come to be deeply thankful for these foundational truths that were built into my life during those years. Faith in Christ, like an anchor, fastens itself to the object of our triune God, our rock of ages, and this is the only sure and steadfast place of stability for us in all the storms of life. I had no idea that that's what they were teaching me but I'm so thankful for it now. The closing prayer of Habakkuk in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, is a moving expression of faith from a man who had come to learn this truth, that God is our rock of ages and he is the only sure and steadfast place of stability for us in all the storms of life. A couple of weeks ago, back in chapter 2, verse 4, when Habakkuk was distressed and confused with God's ways, God essentially said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you've got to keep trusting me even when you can't comprehend my ways. He said it like this, the righteous shall live by faith. And that simple truth seems to have flooded like light into Habakkuk's heart. And the prayer that closes this book really is an expression of his freshly surrendered heart and his newfound confident faith in the Lord. The Lord he had come to know and trust in a deeper and more robust way. And we're going to study this little prayer that I'm going to take from chapter 3, verse 16 down to 19. But as we study it this morning, I want us to see that this is not just recorded in the Bible so that we can say, oh, that's a nice historical record. It's nice to know what Habakkuk was praying. That's nice. No, this is here for our instruction. I said near the beginning of this series that the book of Habakkuk is in our Bibles to help us learn, to learn how to keep trusting in the Lord in difficult times. And as we close and look at this little prayer, I want to be really concrete and practical this morning. We've been saying week after week in this series, the righteous will live by faith. Keep Trusting God, even when you don't understand what He's doing. And I just wonder today, you might be saying, Look, I want to have that kind of faith, but what does it look like? Give me something really concrete and practical. What does it look like for me to live and practice that kind of faith in my difficult times? And that's what I want to help you with this morning from God's Word. We see in Habakkuk's closing prayer. Three components of a robust faith that trusts God in difficult times. This is what faith looks like in difficult times. This is what it looks like to be fastened by faith to the rock of ages. So, if you're asking the question, "Right, well, what does it look? What does faith look like in difficult times?" Here are three components that shape and demonstrate what what faith looks like in our hard times. Number one, faith looks like this. It holds a posture of reverent submission to God's sovereign and good purposes in all things. So in the difficult times, what does faith look like? It holds a posture Of reverent submission to God's sovereign and good purposes in all of His ways. Look at the opening two words of verse 16. Habakkuk begins by saying, I hear. He's saying, Lord, I've heard and I have understood the message you've given in response to my questions. He asked at the beginning of the book in chapter 1, Lord, why are you doing nothing about the wickedness that I see all around me? And do you remember how God responded? Essentially, I'm not doing nothing. I am at work on a higher plane than you could ever imagine, Habakkuk. I am already raising up the Babylonian army as my instrument of judgment in Israel. Habakkuk was deeply troubled by this response, and then he asked well, Lord, then what about the Babylonians? Will they ever come into judgment for their wickedness and for their sinfulness? And God responded and answered Habakkuk, saying, there is a day coming when I will judge all sin and wickedness. I will put all wrongs right. But until that day, the righteous will live by faith. They will keep trusting me and waiting on me. And when Habakkuk says at the beginning of verse 16, I hear, he's saying, Lord, now I see and I understand. But look at how what God has said has affected him in the rest of verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. God has said that Habakkuk and his people are going to go through a very difficult time, but that God will be sovereign over it. God has said they're going to go through hardship, but he has good and holy purposes in it. It's going to be tough, but he has a good design. But when Habakkuk thinks of the tough time, he trembles. He's been told that a foreign army is going to invade his land. The invasion would be difficult. Think of the devastation we've seen over the past two years in the invasion of eastern Ukraine. That's going to happen in Israel, and Habakkuk trembles at the thought of it. He says, this revelation of your sovereign purposes of judgment has left me overwhelmed. That's essentially what he's saying in verse 16. But then look at what he says in the second half of the verse. Yet, I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He's saying, I know the trial you have ordained for us is hard. But I know that you have said I have to trust you. And that you have good and sovereign purposes that will come to fruition. You've said one day you'll judge all evil. So I don't have to have it on me to put all the wrongs right. You've called me to wait on you and to live a life of quiet faithfulness. Habakkuk has learned to trust at this stage in the book, right at the end, that God is good and sovereign in all of his ways, even when we can't comprehend his ways. Let me illustrate the journey that Habakkuk's been on with a simple illustration. Imagine if someone who knew nothing about medical procedures, nothing at all, found themselves standing in an emergency theater with an emergency caesarean section going on. Imagine they see a pregnant woman lying on the bed and they see a surgeon take out a little knife and he's about to cut the pregnant woman's stomach with it. That person knows nothing of what's happening. I imagine they would jump in and say, stop, what are you doing? Don't be so cruel. How can you take a knife to a pregnant woman's belly? You're being cruel. Would that person be correct? No, because they don't have all the information. The surgeon could turn to say, No, I'm being kind. This surgical procedure, this cutting, is the only way to bring this new life into the world safely. Habakkuk started off in this book like the guy in the operating room saying, Lord, what are you doing? Seems so cruel. And God said, My ways are higher than your ways, Habakkuk. You see, God is good and sovereign in all of his ways. How does faith respond to that revelation of God's sovereign goodness? What does faith look like in light of the reality of God's sovereign goodness? Faith looks like this. Reverent submission to the God whose good ways are high above our ways. Here's the question we need to ask. Is that your posture towards God? Reverent submission. Or are you more like the one objecting when you see his kind surgical hand, are you the one objecting with your finite level of incomplete information? Now, as soon as I say that, I want to remind us what we've learned in this book from Habakkuk. It is okay to express our questions and our lament before God but always in a humble posture that seeks understanding. Never in a posture that makes us want to stand above God and say, you shouldn't act like that. We take our place as finite beings under an infinite sovereign who has demonstrated and spoken of his character as gracious and compassionate and good and just, and we reverently bow under His sovereign hand. That's what faith looks like when we understand the sovereign goodness of God. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted the song Always Good by the Christian hymn writer Andrew Peterson. Here's another section of that song as I listened to it over the past week or so. Uh, I just thought this is so fitting. Well, it's so hard to know what you're doing, Lord. Why don't you tell it all plain? But you said you'd come back on the third day, and Peter missed it again and again. So maybe the answer surrounds us, but we don't have eyes to see that you're always good, always good. This heartache is moving me closer than joy ever could, and you're always good. Pray even now as you're listening to me. Oh, Lord, give me this posture of faith. Increase my faith in your sovereign goodness even at this time of confusion and difficulty. And this truth helps us practically in a thousand ways. Think of any stress or strain in your life right now, any trouble, any heartache, any difficulty. In Romans eight twenty eight, 28, we read, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. If that is true, then whatever comes into your mind, that your own affliction, even that, in some way, God's at work to do good things in your life, in your heart, to strengthen your faith, faith to make you more dependent on him. Always good. The posture of faith is reverent submission, even when we don't get it. The second component then of this firm faith of Habakkuk is this. Faith looks like this. It holds a robust resolve to rejoice in the God of our salvation no matter what our circumstances might be. This takes us into the beautiful benediction of Habakkuk's prayer in verses 17 to 19. Habakkuk recognizes that hard times are ahead for him, his family, and his people. Here he envisages a Job-like scenario where eventually he'll be stripped from everything that brings him security and comfort in this life. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. A form of this would indeed come to pass for Israel. The Babylonians in 586 would sack Jerusalem raise the temple to the ground, strip God's people of their land and possessions, and remove them as exiles to Babylon where they would work as slaves. But as Habakkuk envisages this, the worst of circumstances, look at the resolve he expresses that begins with that little word, yet, at the beginning of verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That little word yet is a really important word in this prayer. Notice he also used it back in 16 after learning of God's sovereign purposes. He says, Yet I will wait quietly. See, that's the response of faith. Now he envisages this stripping, this very difficult time. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is the response of faith. This yet expresses faith and hope in God even in the darkest of circumstances. Habakkuk is not saying, don't hear me wrong, he's not saying he will rejoice in losing everything. No, he's not deranged. When our loved ones die, we don't say, yes, You don't rejoice in the circumstances that are so terrible and so broken. No, what is he rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in the object of his hope when he's standing in the midst of the ruins of his life. The God who will keep him through such dreadful circumstances and who will one day bring him into full deliverance From all his pain and loss. He is saying, I might be able to lose everything I hold dear in this life. But there's one thing I can never lose, one thing that can never be taken away from me, and that is the God of my salvation. The Lord will never let go of me. That's what He's hoping in. He will hold me fast even in the worst circumstances. He's the God who will one day take me beyond these circumstances and into a redemptive and hopeful place. Habakkuk is hoping in God. And this hope is our hope, because when we are united to Jesus Christ by faith, We don't just put our anchor into the rock of ages. The rock of ages puts his anchor into us, the Holy Spirit. And I love that thought, that in Christ I'm anchored to the rock, but the rock shoots out his own anchor into my heart. And I'm secure on both ends by a sovereign God. Habakkuk is rejoicing not just in his salvation, in the benefits of all God's grace, but he's tracing all the benefits of God's grace back up to the God of grace. And he's saying, I'm rejoicing in the Lord himself, the God of my salvation, because if everything's taken away from me and I still have God, I still have something I can be joyful about. Is this not the truth of the majestic eighth chapter of the book of Romans? When Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? That's Paul's version of Habakkuk 3. though everything's taken away. And what does Paul say? For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Will all of this separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is Paul saying, look, so much can happen, so much can be stripped away, But, but nothing can take our God away from us and us away from our God if we are truly in Christ. And that's what I'm holding on to in the ruins. A God who has promised I'll never be snatched out of his hand. Isn't that what Jesus said in John ten twenty-seven? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's as if Jesus is saying, and I've said this before, they're in my hand and and no one can get them out of my hand and if that's not enough, the Father's hand wraps around my hand and, and they're doubly secure and no one can get at them. And that is what Habakkuk is rejoicing in. Not his grip on the Lord, but on the Lord's grip of him. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The God who keeps me. No matter what happens in this life, the worst thing, sin, eternal condemnation in hell, facing the judgment of a God in, the, in our unforgiven sin, in a state of unforgiven sin, That's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. The worst thing would be dying in your sin and facing a holy God and being condemned to hell. That's the worst thing that could happen to any one of us. And so Habakkuk is saying, no matter how bad things get on this earth, there's something that I can choose to be joyful in. The worst thing that could ever happen to me, praise the Lord, it's been taken away. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, even in the ruins. This is a resolution Habakkuk has made. In light of the knowledge that things are going to be hard for him he is resolved to fix his eyes on god and to seek to find hope and joy in his god not in his circumstances what does faith look like in difficult times we set our hope in life and in death in the god of our salvation that is where the anchor for the soul is found in God, the rock of our salvation. That surrender, that hope, is a continual thing. You don't arrive at it one day and say, yep, I've arrived (laughs) at continual surrender. It's a choice you make often. I choose to focus on God even when I feel nothing. I choose to reverently submit even when I can't comprehend it. Can't comprehend his goodness. This is what faith looks like among the ruins. Well, there is a third component to Habakkuk's faith and I think this is deeply helpful and deeply encouraging. I'm so, so helped by the way this prayer ends. What does faith look like? It looks like this. It holds a reliance on God's supply of strength and not our own to see us through the hard times. That's what we see here in verse 19. Habakkuk's prayer expresses a deep reliance on God's strength and not his own Look at how he opens verse 19. Beautiful, big capital letters so that we know this is the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant God, the self-existing one, the all-loving, covenant, faithful God. God the Lord is my strength. God the Lord is my strength. Here is another component of firm faith demonstrated by Habakkuk. He does not trust in his own strength to get him through his trial that is ahead. He looks to the strength that God will supply for him in his trials. You could be listening to this message this morning and at this point be saying, Steve, that's all really wonderful and inspiring, this no matter what faith, but I could never muster up that kind of faith within me. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to muster up that kind of faith within you. Faith doesn't look inside of the self. Faith looks outside of the self and sets its hope in God alone. This is certainly the lesson Habakkuk was, had learned. This is the lesson the Apostle Paul was taught through his own exposure of his weakness towards the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Do you remember God, uh, Paul asked God three times to take this thorn that made him feel so weak away and God said in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Habakkuk was not looking to his own strength to get through the difficult times in his life. He was hoping in the promised supply of strength that would come from the faithful covenant God. And this promise of a supply of strength gave him confidence. In Isaiah 41.10, the Lord says to his people when they're feeling anxious and weak, Fear not, for I will help you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Habakkuk hears that kind of promise. and He says, that gives me confidence. That's what he's saying at the middle part of verse 19, when when he uses the strange language and says, he makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. He's saying, when the Lord strengthens me, I feel like I can tackle mountains. Things that would make me afraid that I could never face in my own strength. God has said he will strengthen me. I can move on Sure-footed into this day, because God has promised to give me strength. Twice in verse 19, we read of Habakkuk's hope in what God would make him into in his weakness. He makes he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk is saying, he makes me into what I cannot make myself. He makes me strong. He makes me able to move forward when I feel like I can't. He makes me find myself in places that would terrify me usually. And yet I can stand there because God strengthens me. He will make me into what I cannot make myself. I find that so hope-giving. This kind of faith that holds us firm is a hope in God. When the sea billows roll, we can see our hearts through faith fastened to the rock that never moves. In all the changing circumstances, you've got this great hope immovable, unchanging God. And this kind of faith that holds us firm is a sovereign work of God's grace. You can't muster that up within yourself. God grants us that strength. He grants us that faith as a gift. We don't have to fret about mustering up this kind of faith because the Lord will strengthen our faith as we look to him. He will make in us that which we can't make in ourselves. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he called his first disciples? Mark 117, follow me and I will make you. He went on to say, I will make you fishers of men. And it's beautiful how Mark's gospel in particular gives us so much of the storyline of how Jesus steadily made the disciples into what they could not make themselves. Faithful men of God. And so when we hear Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith, and we hear Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you, we recognize that this life of faith is just like the disciples. It's a life of following Jesus. What does faith look like in difficult times? What does it look like in any time? Faith relies not on the self, but on the God of all grace who has promised to supply us with everything we need to live the life of faith. Back to the B.B. motto with which I began. Sure and steadfast. Faith in Christ, like an anchor, fastens itself to the object of our triune God. And think of how these lessons or these components of faith we've seen in this prayer help us to see how our faith is anchored in the triune God, the Father who is sovereign and good in all his ways. We anchor our faith there with reverent submission to him. The Son who accomplished our salvation, who has has promised that he will never lose any of those the Father has given him. We hope and rejoice in him. And the Spirit... The one who strengthens us with power through his indwelling in our inner being, the Spirit strengthens us, and so we rely on his strength and not our own. What will hold you sure and steadfast when your own sea billows roll? Being in Christ, anchored to the triune God, our rock of ages. That is what will hold you fast. And remember, it is not just ourselves hooking ourselves on and hoping that it will hold. In union with Christ, God anchors his grace and faithfulness into us. And imagine him holding that anchor fast. He'll, there's nothing that can outdo his grip. There's no storm that'll pull so hard that God's like, oh, I lost you. You're held. That's the only sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. That's what Habakkuk came to learn. And imagine the first readers of his book in Babylon, in exile. Reading a prayer like that and finding hope. And here we read it in our own state of exile in the world and we find hope. You know, I think Habakkuk would have enjoyed the BB. I can imagine him singing, We have an anchor that keeps the soul, steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. And you know the lovely thing? We're called to join that song of faith. See verse 19, the very last bit, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Do you know what that tells us? That's not just to be Habakkuk's song. It was to be written down and sung by the saints through the ages. This song of faith is our song of faith. And what a hope we have sure, and steadfast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this helpful little book of Habakkuk. For the last five weeks, we've been here and we trust that by your spirit you have fed us through your word and we ask that you'd keep working through your word and to continue to accomplish your good purposes for giving us this little book. For some reason, your reasons, you've had us in this for the past five weeks and we know that you will do good things through your word in the hearts and lives of your people. And as we respond now and sing of the treasure that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, as we sing and as we come to this lovely family meal, the Lord's Supper, together, we pray that in our response, we would be so appreciative of Christ, our hope in life and death. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, to prepare ourselves for sharing communion, the Lord's Supper together, we're going to sing the first two verses of Immortal Honours Rest on Jesus' Head. Um, maybe you didn't realize that we were going to be sharing communion today, and you walked past the table on the way in and didn't pick up uh, a little cup and uh, the bread. Um, if you know and love Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you remember in good standing with your local church, you're welcome to share in this meal of remembrance with us. If you were intending to do so and you didn't collect communion, just during the first two verses of our hymn, um, feel free to knit back, uh, pick up the elements, and get yourself seated and settled again so that you can join with us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not in good standing with your local church in the way I've just explained, then it would be better for you not to take communion, instead to take this as an opportunity just to reflect on why you're not eating the bread and drinking the cup and why you're not yet a Christian. Let's just sing together, let's stand uh, and sing of the immortal honors that rest on Jesus' head and then after we'll be seated and we'll share the, the cup and the bread together. Let's stand and sing.